While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. The first name is a little unusual, Tyrus. In 2020, there were actually about 1,600 people in the United States named Tyrus, and it was probably just as rare when Tyrus Raymond Cobb was born in 1886. He was born in Narrows, Georgia, that's in Banks County, in a nice house, not a shack like some stories tell. Later, he would say that his parents didn't live there in Narrows. The house actually belonged to an ancestor of his mother named Caleb Chitwood. They would live in Livonia, Harmony Grove, which later became Commerce, and Carnesville before settling in Royston. That's where the roadside marker points out Ty Cobb's boyhood home. His father was a teacher, and young Tyrus gained a reputation as an argumentative fighter as he moved through school, a reputation Cobb said wasn't completely founded on truth. There are a lot of stories of Cobb's upbringing that can't be confirmed, and they may just be stories. His father may have been a stern disciplinarian, or he may have been a kind father who cared deeply for guiding his son in the right paths of life. Or he might have been a raving control freak. It depends on who's telling the story. While we're on the subject of who's telling the story, I'm going to use quite a few sources here, but my main source is a 2015 book by Charles Learson called Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty. Learson believes that most of the negative stories we hear about Cobb were spread by a small group of writers after his death and cemented into people's minds with Ken Burns' baseball. This is Moving Through Georgia, Ty Cobb. Cobb worked hard at baseball. He never considered himself to have a natural talent, although some contemporary writers thought so. But pretty much everyone who wrote about him knew that the man put in the effort. He was usually hungry. He put on weight fast if he ate three meals a day, so he didn't. He walked with lead weights in his shoes during the off-season to build up his legs. When he was at bat, he developed what he called the snap swing. He choked up on the bat so he could give it a quick, efficient swing, and he also developed something called the split hand grip. He said that having his hands further apart than most hitters did on the bat allowed him to make last-second adjustments to his grip before swinging. Does it work? Well, Google split hand grip and you'll get 26 million results for baseball, softball, and primarily golf. They all seem to believe in it. And at the start of his career, even though Cobb probably didn't know it, the split-hand grip was also making the career of a player for the Louisville, Kentucky Colonels named Honus Wagner. I think I have one of his baseball cards around here somewhere. Ty Cobb started playing serious ball at the age of 12 with the Royston Reds, a team that would mostly be comprised of 20-year-olds but who desperately needed a shortstop. He liked baseball, knew he was good at it, and started to like the attention he got from the crowd. His father tried to guide young Ty towards a more academic career and forbade him to go on road trips, but he still leaned towards baseball. Then something happened, the sort of thing that could change a young man's life forever. Ty Cobb picked up a 22 rifle that had a stick caught in the trigger guard and shot himself in the collarbone. 
he was brought to Atlanta, which was the nearest place the wound could be x-rayed. And while they were there, he and his father watched their first professional baseball game. Now, his father would have preferred that Ty play baseball in between classes at UGA, but around the age of 15, Cobb began earning money for playing the sport, scotching his amateur standing and setting him on the path of a career professional baseball player. Leaving home at 17, with his father demanding that he go and get this baseball nonsense out of his system, Cobb began playing for the Augusta Tourists of the South Atlantic League. Baseball at that time had a couple of problems. The two biggest ones were cheating and fighting. Players played drunk, basemen held the runners' belts as they tried to run, people stepped into pitched balls, Whatever it took. At the time, there was only one umpire on the field anyway, and he couldn't see everything every time. So while he's getting his career started, let's go back to Royston and look in on his parents. As I said, some stories of Cobb's life start with his birth into a southern hillbilly shack on the wrong side of town. His family wasn't like that. His mother was from a fairly prominent family. His father was a high school principal, state senator, mayor, and postmaster of Royston, and a newspaper editor to boot. Cobb had a solid start with a prosperous, well-educated Southern family. Pillars of the community. Except for one thing. One day in August of 1905, this is while Cobb was in Augusta playing with the tourists, his father announced to his wife that he planned to travel for a few days and visit some schools that were under his supervision. He did leave the house, but instead of visiting the schools, he traveled to Carnesville to speak to a friend and then returned to Royston that night. He didn't go in the house and didn't tell his wife Amanda that he was back. For some reason, that night he was in the side yard of his home with a rock and a pistol in his pocket, and his wife didn't know he was back. Why on earth would he be skulking through the yard at 11 p.m. when he was supposed to be touring local schools? Well, it might have been the neighbors. There were two unmarried sisters living next door to the Cobb home. Unmarried, but gifted with a steady stream of gentlemen callers. A few years earlier, another resident of Royston, a fellow who lived just a few doors down from the Cobbs, had tried to secure a year's worth of, well, you know, for $600. And when he found out that the girl he had paid was still seeing clients on the side, he flew into a rage and had to be subdued by the police. Cobb's father might have been doing a little neighborhood watch that night, keeping an eye out for illicit activity in his neighborhood. Another theory is that he suspected his wife of infidelity and was waiting to see if any town gentleman would come to his house to take advantage of his absence. Cobb's mother, Amanda, heard a rustling noise outside the window and fired two shots into the dark. Ty Cobb came home for the funeral and for his mother's arrest. He didn't stay for long. The Detroit Tigers had been showing interest in him, and by the end of the month, he was playing Major League Ball. His big league debut would make the papers up north. His mother's trial would do the same in the south. Eventually, a jury would deliberate for just an hour before finding her not guilty. Cobb came to town for the trial and returned to his team just a few days later. 
Less than a year later, Cobb would be involved with another mystery. For about 44 days, he would simply disappear. The team wouldn't say where he was, and the obliging sports writer soon stopped asking. It might have been a hospital stay for a severe digestive issue, or it might have been a short time in a sanitarium. The pressures of Major League Ball, feeling isolated as the lone southerner on a Yankee team, and his father's death may have been too much for him. Either way, he came back, and he came back strong. During his time with the Tigers, he would manage to hit his way to first, then steal second, then third, and then home, and he would do that four times in his Tigers career. The Tigers would win the pennant in 1908, the year Cobb married Charlotte Lombard of Augusta, and they would win the pennant again in 1909. Neither time did they win the World Series. As a matter of fact, they lost in 1909 to the Pittsburgh Pirates and Honus Wagner. Cobb was starting to gain a reputation as a fighter, someone who might not throw the first punch, but wasn't afraid to throw the second, third, fourth, or fifth. But an incident said to have happened in 1908 also intimated he may have been a racist as well. Cobb and a teammate were walking on a sidewalk when they were stopped by Fred Collins, an African-American who was pouring asphalt and warning pedestrians to walk around it. No one knows exactly what was said by either party, but Collins and Cobb were quickly throwing punches and rolling on the ground. The local newspapers didn't know who they should make more fun of in the stories, the black laborer or the white redneck. Cobb eventually settled out of court by paying $75, but his reputation took a hit, and maybe not entirely fairly. His team, and they were not the only ones, had a teenage African-American boy who traveled with the team, acting as a general gopher and a good luck charm. It was common for players to rub his head before batting or rub their bats against his head, but Cobb didn't do that. He was known to care for the kid and would sometimes arrange for him to have decent sleeping conditions with the team when they were on segregated trains. Cobb brought him to Georgia after the 1909 season and may have been instrumental in getting him some solid, responsible work. Cobb might not have had a problem with Collins' race. He may have been just the kind of guy who doesn't like to be told where to walk and starts fights. He sure had his share of fights during baseball games. Playing the Philadelphia Athletics in 1909, he tried to steal third base. As usual, spikes first. It resulted in a minor injury for the third baseman. Nobody said much of anything, and both players finished the game. The next day, however, it all blew up. Cobb was accused of being an angry, violent, dangerous player. After hearing from the Athletics owner and without talking to anyone from Detroit, the league president sent a letter to Cobb demanding that he clean up his style of play. The Detroit papers fired back and said basically that everyone in Philadelphia was a crybaby. Cobb wrote an open letter in the press saying that he was being tried unfairly for something that happened relatively often in the game. Cobb tried to evade the tag and the third baseman was putting his hands in front of a person sliding into base feet first. The controversy would eventually die down, and when Cobb slid into another athletics player a few weeks later, and that guy would require stitches, nothing like the old Fury came back at him. It's possible that all the controversy was just in the papers. 
All right, I could do this all day, and I might even add a few more extra episodes in with some of Cobb's exploits. But the question here is, who was Ty Cobb? I don't think he was any more racist than anyone else, especially someone from Georgia in the early 1900s. He may have been too quick to settle things with his fists on and off the field, and he certainly wasn't the first professional athlete with a short temper, and he may have been drinking a lot, which doesn't help. And he seemed to have a good relationship with another Southerner who played for a Northern team called Shoeless Joe Jackson. So, why this? Ty Cobb wanted to play. None of us could stand a son of a bitch when we were alive, so we told him to stick it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Charles Learson puts out a good theory. Cobb was a great player. His batting average is 366 or 367, depending on who's doing the math. He also had a hospital built in his hometown and started a college scholarship fund. He publicly praised Roy Campanella from the Dodgers and said Willie Mays was the only player he'd ever pay money to see. In 1936, five players were nominated for the new Baseball Hall of Fame. Cobb got the most votes and was the first player to have his face on the wall. This doesn't sound like an angry racist who's universally hated. When he died in 1961, a service was held in Cornelia before the burial in Royston, and no sports writers at the time started reminiscing about Cobb as an angry, aggressive racist. Those stories came out later. He was mercilessly hazed by his Detroit teammates, even as his mother was accused of murder, and through that he still became a star. Yeah, okay, maybe he got away with some things because of his fame, and maybe if he weren't so valuable to the team, he wouldn't have gotten away with some of his bad behavior. It's a special gift to have this sort of personality where people still love you even though they're jealous of you. And Ty Cobb didn't have that. I had heard so many times that Ty Cobb was from Banks County, but I knew nothing about him. I'm not a big baseball guy, I just wanted to focus on the man and give people something of a personality that they could connect that name to. That's what I'm trying to do with this podcast, to develop a deeper understanding of those things and those people that we originally only know one or two sentences about. If you have any questions, comments, or if you're building a baseball park in your cornfield and you need somebody to play catcher, movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. After Ty Cobb's death, a book was written by a writer named Al Stump, which propagated the best-known stories of Cobb as a racist who could barely control his anger. Stump has been accused of elaborating his stories to make them more dramatic, and he did certainly overdramatize his account of Cobb's father's death. Stump has even been accused of forging some Cobb memorabilia and cooking up stories to revive interest in Cobb so he could drive up the prices. He even tried to sell the shotgun that had killed Cobb's father, even though court records clearly said that he had been killed with a pistol. The stories that Stump wrote heavily influenced Ken Burns. Ken Burns kind of played Ty Cobb as a villain in his baseball series. But honestly, I think it's that one line from Ray Liotta in Field of Dreams that did the most damage to his reputation. That's the way we do it down in Georgia. 
Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe. From an aid deputy gal to Georgia. That's all.